Hello, Maker of Minnesota friends and fans. We have a very special event coming up. I'm hosting a series of Makers of Minnesota dinners at the Lexington in St. Paul, and I'm so excited. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best makers in the Twin Cities, but you'll be treated to a three-course dinner, compliments of Chef Antonio from the Lexington, and he'll be using the featured maker's ingredients in all the courses that he's making for this special event. Our September dinner is Tuesday, September 28th, and tickets are $98. Our featured makers are the talented folks from Alamar Cheese, Red Table Meats, Bakersfield Flour and Bread, and Trace Leches in the food building in Northeast Minneapolis. We will be the exclusive diners in the restaurant for the entire evening, and you will mingle with me and your favorite makers and taste their wonderful products. And a special treat, you can even pre-order the first ever Makers of Minnesota holiday box filled with my favorite products from makers all around the Twin Cities. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special event, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the first Makers of Minnesota dinner featuring the talented makers of the food building, including the delicious cheese from Alamar Cheese, breads from Bakersfield Flour and Bread, meats from Red Table Meats and Elixirs, and tinctures from Trace Leches. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com. This is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And we had an opportunity to talk with Brad Glenn. He is the founder and vice president of marketing for LiftBridge. And Brad, I think we talked, gosh, it must be about two years ago now. I'll directly link the episode where we talked before into the show notes here. But it was right around the time where you guys were introducing Hard Seltzer. Who knew at the time what a boon that would become, huh? Yeah, hard seltzer has really taken off. And in all aspects of the alcohol industry, it's it's really, really taken off. And we don't see any, any uh, sign of it slowing anytime soon. And it's been good for the beer folks and the local beer folks in particular. A, you make a delicious product. But B, in some respects, it kind of expanded the marketplace for you from people that didn't really maybe love beer, or it gave you more, I hate to be sexist about it, but a lot of females kind of came into the marketplace. Um, Sure. Yeah. And I mean, much like when craft brewing uh, started really gaining, gaining a hold on the beer industry in general, um, the hard seltzer industry was, was mainly larger national companies and, and to have craft breweries like ourselves put our own little spin on it and really you know, brand it and and market it and flavor it directly for our our local customers is, is unique, and that's that's basically why craft brewing, by craft beer, uh, took hold the way it did. And I think most people are really enjoying uh, local hard seltzers and and again giving it a midwestern um, slant like we do with some of the flavors we use. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's been it's been great, and it's it's everyone. It's it's older. Uh, men, it's younger women, it's it's everyone in between. So it, it it has really permeated everyone. It's funny too, because I think what initially attracted people to the hard seltzer was kind of a lower calorie profile. And in the beginning, the national brands, let's just face it, they weren't super tasty. They were very artificially flavored tasting to me anyway. And I think 
the local brands took that sort of idea of that product and then made one that tasted good. And it was so great. Exactly. And that's, as I said, analogous to, to beer. We, we took what was normally done with beer and, and used better ingredients and, and really, you know, washed it along the way in a, in a very crafted and, um, you know, just ma- making it better for our customers. So um, same thing with the seltzers, you know, using natural ingredients, natural flavorings and natural sugars and, and keeping our eye on that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really been the different differentiator with, with craft seltzer versus the national brands. Um, Farm Girl has had a rebrand. That's your, it's a Saison, right? It was a Saison. Now it's a Belgian golden, if you want to be really technical. So all Saisons are Belgian ales, um, all golden ale, you know, there's golden ales you can have uh, slightly Belgian too. It all depends on the yeast that we use. So we did switch yeast strains from a traditional Saison style yeast uh, to just a, a, a a more um, uh, uh, a smoother Belgian style yeast, so it's still in the Belgian category. It's just not as um, doesn't contain all the esters and the clove and banana that you would get out of a traditional saison yeast. When you guys launched, that was your signature beer. How does that feel to be rebranding it? And were you nervous about changing the profile at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we we launched it, and I I remember talking to people in the industry 14 years ago and they were wondering why we're launching with such a weird brand why, why are you launching a saison no one knows what that is no one's gonna understand it and um it, it did take hold and it's done a good good job and other breweries have have done saisons and belgian ales so um we feel really proud of what we've done with it um, but really we wanted to look at it you know step back look at it and say what's really good about it we haven't changed the recipe in a while we haven't changed the look in a while and and we're always improving every day. It, it's silly to not in, in business and in life. So why aren't we looking at this brand and thinking about what can we do that would make it even better? So to that end, um, you know, I think we've done that. I was nervous because, you know, I wrote that recipe in a basement 15 years ago. So um, I have a lot invested in it, <laughs> certainly. So, uh, but, you know, through our awesome brew team and, uh, we were able to to work with newer ingredients, newer hops to to really accentuate the things that we wanted to preserve all the great qualities of it and, and really just just smooth it out, make it more refreshing and then also improve the look of it. Our, the cans look awesome. The the packaging is it's just redone and it looks looks fantastic. I'm I'm super proud of it. And I think everyone is. When you look at the last year, because you guys have also done something that has started a movement, I think, which is you've been sort of battling this um, barrel cap that has been imposed by the state legislature on craft beer companies. And you have opened a tap room and a facility over in Wisconsin. You crossed over. Yes. Tell uh, tell us about that and what the nature of moving, you'll always be a Minnesota maker, of course, but You've also expanded now into the Wisconsin market, which for beer, that's no easy thing. Um, no, and and certainly, like you said, we are a Minnesota company and will remain that. Um, you know, I've lived in Stillwater for almost 20 years and uh, we started the business here and it's not going anywhere. It's still here. Um, but, you know, the honest truth is in Minnesota, we can't have more than one tap room. 
you know, multiple brewing facilities, but what sense does it make for us in Stillwater um, to go into West Metro and, and start a brewery with, with no tap room? Um, so really, we, we, if we want to expand and create another uh, facility, another tap room, there, there's not much of a decision to make other than look at Wisconsin. So it's right across the river. I'm looking at it right now through my window. So, um, it, and it, there, there are some different laws and they are certainly more favorable, uh, for, for breweries and Minnesota should look around and realize that all of its neighbors and almost every other state in the country has more favorable laws towards craft brewers and craft distillers. And that's, that's, what's going to happen if, if we don't get with the times, uh, people are going to certainly look around. We want to make the best company for our employees. We want to make the best product to share with the most people. And so we're willing to uh, look around and see what our options are. Wisconsin's been great and they've, they've really embraced it. Um, as I mentioned, the laws are a little bit more favorable. We can sell six packs, four packs, kegs of beer to go direct to the consumer. And they still have a great uh, liquor store segment. You know, they have awesome liquor stores over there. They're, we could still sell what we sell in the tap room there too. So right. we can all coexist and, and yeah, it would be great if Minnesota could, uh, could study that and, and understand uh, that's, that's a big economic impact. One of the things that's interesting um, that's happened is, you know, with COVID, a lot of the breweries barrel production went down because they weren't selling in restaurants and in on-premise locations, but the in-home purchasing increased dramatically, yet there was an aluminum shortage. And so when it all shook out, as we sort of look like we rounded down in the pandemic and maybe now we're rounding back up again, who knows, what was it like to be a craft brewer after it all was said and done? Did you guys, did you hang on? Did the PPP sustain you? Yeah, the PPP was really good. Um, and there was times during the shutdown that, that we were extremely scared. Uh, you know, we had a lot of employees laid off. Um, we had a lot of great employees laid off that, you know, we were hoping that would come back, um, but we understood if they took other jobs, and we did have a few people take other jobs. Um, uh, we also had a lot of our production staff, who again we spend years training, and they're great. Um, you know, we had a lot of them on a shared work program with uh, that's through a program with the state, so that helped out too because they got some unemployment plus they got to work. So there was some state and federal um, programs that helped us sustain and get through. Uh, basically just get through. We did write some checks for payroll out of our personal checking accounts. So um, that's always a scary thing to do. Um, but, you know, uh, we're, we're through it now and uh, we are seeing a lot of, a lot of things open back up. Um, we still have the can shortage. Again, a lot of people, as you said, were drinking at home, but what we saw, unfortunately, was a lot of large national brands with large packages and people were value shopping you know, buying the, the 24 pack of toilet paper and, or the 48 pack of toilet paper, the 24 pack of you know, paper towels. And they were buying the 36 pack of beer that was $10 instead of a local craft brewery that has people literally sitting at home collecting unemployment. Um, so that, that was frustrating. Um, so we, we didn't see a huge uptick in liquor stores. Uh, we did some, 
just because people had to buy it there um, if they wanted to enjoy a beer. So, but we we saw a lot of the population go towards you know that higher value, and and some of those companies did great. You know, Bud and Miller posted huge numbers, and they bought up a lot of the cans, and and we, there was no cans for for a lot of the smaller partners, uh, smaller purchasers. So um, that that sucked, but uh, we hope we're through that. And we hope we're on the other side of it and we don't have any more shutdowns. We're able to just keep keep pushing on. Yeah, I do think, I mean, as we record this, and I don't know when I'll release it, but um, as we record this, we're leading up to the state fair. And I do think that the time of business shutdown has passed. I just don't think it's feasible to continue to assume that we can shut businesses down, even in the light of wanting to protect people's health during a pandemic, you know, you have tools now, there's hospital tools, there's vaccine tools, there's uh, knowledge about how the virus spreads. And I just don't think that it can continue to be on the backs of the businesses and the workers. But it is frustrating, I think, as a company, that, you know, you look at these tools and you hope that you have employees that get vaccinated and whether you feel strongly about that people should, or whether you feel like it's a personal choice. When you look at it from a business perspective, even if you respect people's rights to not get vaccinated, it still is a giant upheaval in your business. If there is an outbreak or if key people get sick, I think it's been interesting to watch how the Vikings have navigated that with their quarterback and some of their key people. Apparently, they have the smallest uh, percentage of vaccinated players in the league, which I thought was really interesting from a business perspective. How have you guys, what kind of internal conversations have you had about protecting your assets and protecting your business in light of the coronavirus and the vaccine dilemma that's happened? Yeah, well, we we certainly have um, left it up to each individual. We think it is an individual, you know, right to choose whether or not they get vaccinated or not. Um, you know, personally, I chose to because for no other reason. But I, I do trust modern medicine. I tr- trust America and American medicine and these companies. Uh, but also, um, you know, I di- I didn't want myself. Um, to have to forego, you know, something like a, a baseball game or or um, have to leave the business for two weeks. I, I I just wanted to be able to know that I'm I'm confident in remaining in front of it. Um, I want to be able to welcome people into the tap room, regardless of um, their age or or uh, you know uh, health status. I guess. Yeah. Um, so you know, uh, we had we had a lot of a lot of employees get vaccinated. I I honestly think that the majority of them are, but we did leave that a personal choice. And and now, if there is any any outbreaks, I mean, people have to deal with that uh, personally and know that you know you might not be able to come to work for a few days, which would be unfortunate for everyone around. So um, you know, we've been trying to navigate it, but also give people the personal choice because I'm all about personal freedom too. Yeah, it is. It's a hard, um, it's a hard cross to bear, I guess, because I'm in the event business too, as you are now, if you've got an event center or a tap room, you're in events and you want to 
be able to respect people's freedoms, but you also want to be able to continue to do business and events are weddings and places where people congregate and people are together. What, how do you feel? I thought it was really interesting that first Avenue led the charge on this whole idea of, you know, double vaccination or negative test in order to come into our venue. And then other venues have been slowly or not slowly, but following behind Broadway AEG just announced that the only way you can go to any of their venues is to have a a double vaccination proof. They're not going to take a negative test as proof. So how do you feel like that sets up for your business? Like, do you feel like that will protect it? Uh, well, we haven't done anything like that, nor do I think we um, have any intention to at this point. Um, certainly that can change if, if there is some uh, other other restrictions or, you know, other things that happen. Um, I, I respect their decisions. They're a private business. They can decide whether or not, you know, they open the doors to, to pretty much whomever. Do you feel like that too? Like you're a private business and if you decide to whatever your stance is, because I feel like it's weird that now business owners like yourself, you're put in sort of this position of having to be the arbitrator and of having to make these public health decisions. It just seems so odd to me that this is where we're at, that it's gone down to the granular level of you, Brad, the businessman you know, deciding not only for your employees, which I think makes some sense, but now you're deciding from a public health standpoint too. It's kind of crazy. It is, but I'd rather have it this way. And we can decide what we want to do and be transparent and let all the public know this is what your expectation is. When you come into our tap room, we're not, we're not requiring masks. If If you want to wear one, go ahead. That'd be great. If you want to come in because you've been vaccinated, excellent. If you haven't been vaccinated and still feel uh, worried about it, we have awesome patio seats outside. We also do to-go beer. So, I mean, make your personal decision. What I, I, I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with what you know, leaving it up to us to to communicate to our customers what their expectations can be when they come in. For the last year and a half, we didn't have that though. We we were told on a weekly basis what we could or couldn't do, which was really frustrating because we spent a lot of time and money. Um, keeping up with the restrictions and keeping up with the, you know, recommendations and, and building things and tearing things down and reconstructing and reorganizing and literally on a week to week basis uh, with little to no guidelines um, or explanation. So we were guessing. That's a really interesting perspective that you almost prefer this way because there's more choice and it allows you to take more control of your business. Well, yeah. And it, it also, again, lets the customers know. We don't have customers coming in wondering what we're doing um, like we did a year ago. You know, our, what are we supposed to do here? Well, let's check the CDC website. Let's check the yeah. Minnesota website to see how, how we can welcome people in here. You know, right now, we first half can require a vaccination. That's great. Um, we, we don't have to, so we're not going to, but everyone knows that. So we're yep. not, we're, there's no... Um, you know, like I said, it's it's a transparent conversation with our customers that we don't have an arbitrator like the, the the government involved in it. And it is weird. It is weird too. Like I just was reading the latest guidance from the state website, and you know, just to be clear, this is like uh, we're August thirteenth when I'm recording this, 
And there was a thing that said, you know, you should wear a mask if you're at an outdoor festival. And then if you want to fly domestically, you're fine. Like you don't need to wear a mask (laughs) or like if you fly domestically, your risk is low. I was like, okay, that doesn't make sense. So it's just, it's hard. It's hard. And I don't expect you to have the answers and I certainly don't, but we're in a new territory now where each individual business is able to make those decisions. And it's good to hear a different perspective than what I presented, which is that you appreciate that control over your business, your employees, and the communication with your customers versus it being mandated and something told that you need to do. So I get that. Yeah. And if something changes, certainly if, if there's a large outbreak and we do need to do something and, you know, we, we can, we can roll with the punches that way. Absolutely. Like have, but yeah, in the absolutely. meantime, right now, I'd rather be able to have that conversation and have people know what to expect when they come in. And, and we would do want to accommodate all people. That's why we have seating outside. That's why we have to go. That's why yeah. you, know, you can wear your mask in. We still have masks for sale. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we're living right now. <laughs> Lots of ways to get your lift bridge on, right? Uh, yep. Um, all right. So anything new coming down the pike since you just got through your latest new, are you going to just be here for a while or is it always innovation over at LiftBridge? Oh, we're innovating nonstop. So we always have new flavors, hard seltzers that we're trying out. We have a anniversary batch that we're doing uh, to celebrate our 4,000th batch of beer brewed. So batch 4,000 is coming out in September. So that's super exciting. That's a lot of, that's a lot of batches of beer. So um, we're pretty excited about that. We have Oktoberfest coming out and the fall is always a great time to drink and eat. I love fall foods and fall beers. So me too. Yeah, real excited. Too. Well, it's been great catching up with you, Brad. Thanks for your conversation. I always, um, you're kind of an, an interesting person for me to talk to because you are the co-owner. You're one of the founders, but you're also the marketing person and you're, really have a keen eye into how things are marketed, which is sometimes a little bit different. And I appreciate your business perspectives and your insights very much. Well, thank you. We'll see you at the fair. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.